0: Welcome to the Priority Zero Podcast, stories of service.
1: Welcome to the Priority Zero Podcast, my name is Oresti and today with us we have Theo. Now, Theo is a paramedic in Tasmania, also the creator of the Student Paramedic Facebook page on Instagram and he also runs a first aid and medical supply business called MyMedEquip. Theo, welcome to the podcast. Today, pleased to be here, thanks for having me on. Welcome, mate. I'm very interested to to share your story, especially you've done a lot through paramedicine and uh, you're quite big on the social media scene. Uh, I kind of envy all the videos and the the experience you have. Hopefully I'll get to your level one day. Um, But yeah, tell tell us a little bit about yourself here.
0: Yeah. um, So I was born in Tasmania. My family came from Greece just before I was born. Um, But yeah, born and raised here. Uh, grew up in the south of Tasmania, about half an hour south of Hobart in the countryside there. Um, good rural upbringing, bred horses, had goats and chickens and all that sort of thing. And, you know, really uh, fell in love with having an outdoor lifestyle. From a young age, I was in Boy Scouts, loved going camping and fishing and all those good things. Uh, and then uh, went to uni, well, before I went to uni, actually, I've tried a few different careers before settling in paramedicine. Yeah, so I started um, some personal training. Then I shifted to an electrical trade. Um, during that time, I was quite an avid mountain biker and ended up requiring uh, reconstruction, one on each shoulder. So that took a lot of time out of the tra- out of the apprenticeship. Um, and obviously, I couldn't progress in my apprenticeship while recovering. I think a total of nine months I was off the tools, which was a tough time. And during that time, I decided, you know, I love the outdoors. I love nature. Why don't I study it and try and make some kind of living out of that? As much as I love being on the tools, so that's when I decided to go and study. Well, I did a double major in botany and zoology, ended up working for a lab at the University of Tasmania involved in plant science research and genetics and transpiration. Really enjoyed that work. Then I guess we're going to what got me into paramedicine and. Um, what got me into paramedicine was, long story short, like around 10 years ago, I became a Christian. That's another story. But the church I joined has all these a number of disaster relief agencies, and it was in 2016, and there was this was like the peak of that refugee crisis, you know, that was impacting Europe. Yep. Uh, so I was really interested to, for an opportunity to get boots on the ground there. So I was going to, so I was planning to visit my family in Greece, and I thought, oh, while well, I'm at it, you know, I know about this agency which is operating medical clinics in some of the big camps there on Lesbos, uh, Moria camp, and some other ones. So I thought maybe I can just offer my translation services, that's all, the only skill that I really have that's relevant there. So I went there and and, um, got in contact with them. Long story short, I was going to stay there. I was planning to stay there for six weeks. Ended up extending and staying there for three months. Uh, I found the work so fulfilling just being involved in, you know, frontline medical care of these refugees in just my translation and sort of logistical support capacity there. It was the first time I'd sort of been involved in some kind of frontline, you know, cutting-edge work there.
1: Can you expand on your role there? Like, what was your thoughts? So, obviously, you saw this happening. You really wanted to be a part of it. You know, you're bilingual, so you could speak Greek and Mm. do some translation. So, when you decided to go, hey, this is what I want to do, what was the reaction, say, from your parents, from your family?
0: Yeah, so, the initial plan was just to spend two weeks in the camp. And then one month with my family, they lived about an hour and a half away from the camp by train. They were in Athens. This is north of Athens, near a city called Chalpkiva. And um, that was the closest sort of hospital there. Anyway, so this camp is in an old industrial area. It used to be a chemical plant, a big warehouse. Um, they fitted out with rooms during the time that I was there. But before that, it was just all tents, and they maintained lots of tents there. There was a total around 600 refugees there. Um, they are all Afghans. They tried to keep the different nationalities and the different sects, I guess, separate to avoid conflict. So these were all Afghan, uh, mostly Hazari. Afghans and uh, anyway, look, family was kind of you know supportive, interested. Like, oh wow, that's cool. My sister's a nurse, so she was she's been she's been involved in that sort of stuff a little bit um, in other countries, and so they were pretty you know excited and supportive. The family in Greece they were a bit disappointed in the end because I <laughs> I had planned only to spend two weeks in that camp, but I ended up spending the majority of my time there for three months. Uh, you know, on weekends and a few days here and there, I'd go down for a break and spend some time with them. But I guess it was. It was difficult to get away from it because it was it was such a, um, what's the word? Yeah, fulfilling and rewarding, um, purposeful, you know, all, all of those sorts of things where, where you can see the real difference you, you're making in, in changing someone's world, as cliche as that sounds. So my role there, uh, going in, I didn't really know what I would do. I was very keen for someone yeah, who spoke Greek. Obviously, the, the Afghans themselves um, spoke Farsi. They didn't speak Greek, but um, the common language was English. So they would have some translators that could speak you know, English and Farsi. Yep. And then if we took them to appointments or took them to the hospital or clinics, wherever we would go, uh, someone there well, would speak English or just Greek rather. So their translator would translate from the, from the refugee to me. And then I'd translate from the English to the Greek. So obviously there's a few steps involved there, but yeah, we've got, right. <laughs> we've got the, the gist of it all right most of the time. So that's what I'd mostly be doing. Uh, on the camp there, I'd just be a bit of a handyman, help with bits of construction, a bits of um, logistics here and there. Um, I ended up doing a, a quite a bit of admin and liaising with the, the camp. was under the authority of the um, the Air Force there, so there would be monthly meetings. would also have meetings with the other uh, NGOs on site. For a period of time, the supervisor of our project uh, left so I was acting in that in that um, capacity and being bilingual you know liaising with the, the Greek authorities was yeah it was useful doing that so I was, was quite multifaceted in what I was doing I'd, I'd do driving ambulances wouldn't prioritize us because you know they're stretched they're even thinner here than uh, there than they are here so yeah. oftentimes we'd be transporting it was my first my first exposure to like real raw everything from like birth all the way through to death had never been exposed to those sorts of things before. There was a sad story there. A young guy about my age back then, I was twenty five. So there was a young guy there who was had that, you know, that spirit within him, which is, you know, not just entrepreneurial, but just looking for opportunities to try and make impacts and grow new things and projects for the for the people and the families in the camp. And so he was from Afghanistan. Um, and he he was like key in establishing a little school there for the kids and a few other projects. Everybody loved him. You know who's like that type a personality everyone you know is enthusiastic outgoing anyway he went swimming one day um and then got lost no one knew where he went and then they found him the next morning on the beach um washed up no one knows really how it occurred but he drowned and that was really sad so that was real raw because we you know had meals together he, you know he cooked for us and. And that was, you know, it was a real flurry of emotions, and it was a special time there because actually, in fact, I met my now wife there as well, and that's oh, probably wow. one of the other one of the other reasons that my trip got extended. It would have been, it would have contributed to that. And so, experiencing these emotions really helped us to get to know each other. It wasn't until you know, like going through some of these experiences together, that some kind of attraction and bond started growing there. Well, that was just professional, but yeah, experiencing these these emotions and being involved in in the sensitive areas of people's lives. It's a privilege and it definitely grew me back then. I felt personal growth develop and, and then she's a midwife. That's what she was, that's how she was serving there. And so being involved with you know some of her work there and supporting and driving people in labor and all, all these sorts of experiences is like, wow, healthcare is crazy. Yeah, this yeah, is so great. I can see myself doing this.
1: So that's where you kind of got the spark to go, hey, I think this is something I'm interested in. This may be the direction I kind of want
0: to move in. Yeah, precisely. After that trip, I um, came back here. I just, you know, I had just graduated from Bachelor of Science. Um, there was opportunity for me to continue working in that lab. Um, and there was, and then she's from the UK, my wife. And so then, you know, I thought and prayed about, you know, what would be the best thing to do. I applied for, you know, master's programs in the UK and here in Australia. I applied for positions with my qualification over there and here. And on top of that, I applied for paramedicine. Paramedicine came through, so I thought, "Wow, this is this is the way to go."
1: Before we hit your paramedic side of things, tell me a little bit about this science degree. You said you did plant and genetics. What what, what, the, what
0: does that entail? Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, I got into this because I just really liked the outdoors. I went through a really green phase in terms of you know, like, and immersing myself in in the natural sciences and and um, so in the degree, yeah, I studied zoology and I studied botany. Uh, the lab that I worked with studied specifically transpiration the flow of water through the plant from the bottom from the ground all the way through to the leaves and i was most focused on the leaves um, and what kind of hormones affected the distribution of stomata which are the pores on a leaf uh, the distribution of them the distance from veins and distance from each other so that was really fun we had cool gadgets like we made sap flow meters to measure the flow of sap through different um environmental impacts through direct sunlight through humidity changes um through exposure to like toxins like ozone really interesting you know we got <laughs> ozone's a toxin you can't you know and um, you can't breathe it in and be healthy so these plants know this and they stomata close. so we were using it just to initiate closure of stomata and measure some other parameters um we're thinking where can we where can we get ozone from like and it turns out we looked on online you know, Chinese website and we've got an ozone generator there from China. Uh, wow. It turns out in China They think it's good for your health. So they 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 people buy ozone generators and put it in their homes to generate ozone uh, But the plant knows best and the plant closes closes its mouth in exposure to ozone So anyway, so we used it in that capacity. Um, we did some cool field trips, you know Going out and getting samples camping, but that was a minority of the work most of the time was in the lab you know eight till five during winter down here in Tassie. I didn't see the light of day. I was on the computer a lot. It was cool. You know, one of my friends and I, we generated a program that we could use to fast track a lot of the study that we did and got a paper published earlier. Um, there's little perks like that and I've got a real green thumb um, doing this work. But uh, in, at the end of the day, it was just felt like, I can't stay in a lab. I can't stay on a computer. This career, you know, if I progress in this career in, in, re- in academia, I'm going to be in the computer a lot. And so this was also mixing around in my mind when I went to Greece. For that medical project, mission project, and found that wow, yeah, this is this might be a sign that this is an out or a better trajectory for my career.
1: Yeah, nice. So you've you've come back from your deployment and you've gone, you know, want to get something in the health industry. Why did you pick paramedics over, say, something like a nurse?
0: Yeah, good question. I think it probably came down to there was there was a young younger doctor there who's probably in his like late thirties, and he was a consultant that was operating his project he also operated similar projects elsewhere around the world he d- did he didn't really he was always working remotely he was also always going out on oil rigs or in different countries and different camps or projects he established a hospital outside of Mosul is it was that in Iraq is that where it was yeah during that you know that conflict there like he was always on the go you know out there um international sort of uh, disaster and conflict relief projects and I was like man this is cool you know do I have to be a doctor to do this because, you know, and he's like, no, you don't have to be a doctor. You know, more and more companies are hiring paramedics to do these sorts of things now because they're cheaper and they're, they're you know, they're quite diverse in their skill sets and, you know, translates well across, you know, the, the, the skill sets and the characteristics which they develop translate well across to admin and, you know, management sort of tasks as well as just operations. So so he's like, yeah, you know, you should consider studying paramedicine. So I think that's probably where it grew from. And I thought, yeah, cool, you know, in university of tasmania where i studied they did a two-year fast track they still do it that's quicker than you know going to study medicine and probably having to do a little bit of pre-med course and all these sorts of things funny in the end I, i did end up going to pursue medicine but that's a different story oh there you go all right so
1: talk to me about you've how long was it before you applied and got into paramedicine once you got back from your deployment
0: yeah so i got back in late october i stayed to the very day, if I'd stayed a day longer, they wouldn't have left me. Let me leave the airport because it would have been. I know exactly. I know exactly
1: yeah. why I've got the same problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's a restriction there. I'll never be able to stay longer than three months in Greece.
1: For so the people that are at home that are listening that don't know, so Greece has still got conscription, and uh, even like myself and Theo, if any of us stay more than three months within that country, then we're not eligible to leave, and we get conscripted, and I believe we do six months in the military
0: over there. Yeah, yeah, it's always changing the time period, six months, nine months. I think when my dad did it, it was two years. Yeah, but obviously, I, I prefer to be able to come home and spend that six months at home. Yeah, <laughs> so I've
1: had a few a few friends get caught out by that. Really?
0: Did yeah. they get held?
1: Yep, they got held.
0: Uh, yeah, well, there you go. So, really not worth it for me at this stage, anyway. Uh, yeah, so, so I came back in October. I think it was like the last day of October, and then I applied and commenced study in February. So it was like 4 months. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so it's
1: quite quite a quick turnaround then. By the time you applied, I suppose you got the Christmas break thrown in there, so all yes. in all a pretty quick turnaround. I'm guessing all all the study that you've done in your science degree prepared you to do this, you know, you've come in you, you know how to study, you know mm. how to do your referencing and that. So how did you find going from something like a science degree base where you're dealing with like plants coming to dealing with people
0: yeah so part of the part of my previous studies you're right translated well across so research I've got a lot of RPL so like basic you know biology fine Um, and then research methods you know the academic side of you know paramedicine fine Uh, you know I was able to RPL a few of those subjects I think naturally I'm a little bit extroverted so I enjoy you know interpersonal relationships and I think that helped a little bit but it was very different going to uh, even pharmacology yeah it's different but it was somewhat you know you're understanding the impacts on biology so you just looking at how biology acts differently under these things unfortunately my degree didn't have a lot of didn't have a lot of leadership um and social sort of elements in its study It had the classic social studies like the artsy social studies but that doesn't really uh equip you with how to interact with people and different kinds of people in different situations i think that's something which was lacking leadership skills also wasn't really strongly emphasized and as a paramedic you know you you're you have to take on that leadership role whether it's with your crews or whether you're leading a scene or whether you're you're you know caring for a patient or you're working with other agencies such as fire or police like you you do need leadership elements there and that's something which was a little bit lacking so that's something i learned on the fly (laughs) and my internship with the ambulance service, they were really good at educating us in, that, in those respects.
1: Yeah, perfect. So you end up getting in the the two-year fast track, is that right? that's yes. right. Oh, perfect. And talk to me a little bit about your, once you finish, talk to me about your grad year.
0: Yeah, so grad year, uh, I finished studying. So I graduated in February and I started at the end of April. I think April 28th was when I started. And I um, so that was a few months off and commencing, there was a two week, it was only two weeks back then, or maybe, yeah, two weeks, three weeks, two weeks in class, one week driving training. And now it's a bit different. Uh, some places I know up to five weeks. And, and yeah, so the internship itself was sort of based on modules. Uh, so you'd have a set of competencies that you'd work through. And it was sort of like, it wasn't like a linear progression. It was more like almost like a bit of a whirlwind. It felt like because you go back and you revisit the same topic, in a bit, expanding on it. So you might start in your first one doing basic cardiology, basic trauma, basic, um, you know, pre resource management or something like that. And then you will whirlwind around and come revisit it, but expand on it. And then you add in, you know, respiratory emergencies and you expand on that, those sorts of things. So that's the way it went. There was five modules, if I remember correctly. And each module would have like a workbook you'd work through. And these, this workbook, workbook would be, be dependent on theoretical studies and scenarios, but then also on your real-life cases that you are able to attend. So if there's particular cases that you need to gain exposure to to get ticks off in your book, you would opt in, even if it's not your turn, to you because know, we take turns typically, depending on who you work with, with treating and driving, um, you'd work in and, and just try, oh, I'll pick up this case because you know I might have to insert a, an airway and a few of those ticked off sort of thing so that that's how you progress from one module to the other you'd have to get your competencies signed off and as well as your theory component and then at the end of the module you'd sit in oski and and this is just a, a number of like maybe two or three scenarios you have just a mannequin maybe your mentor will be your offsider, so you're tasked to direct them and to take care and leadership of this case and then at the end discuss the decisions you made, the outcomes, and why you made those decisions. And it would be really, you know, the classic verbalising everything that you're doing and why you're doing it as you go. That's challenging. So that's
1: for what you call your ATP at the end of your grad year, is that right? To get That's correct. Yeah, so
0: the way I did it, would have five of these modules, and then at the very end, there's a capstone panel where you have these, you have scenarios, uh, you have spoken, they're called Viva's verbal scenarios, and then you'd have a theory test. Then after you've passed this, then you'd uh, be able to, have your authority to practice granted to you and also your mental health officer accreditation. There'll be a couple of other little, tiny formalities to sign off and then, then you're on the road and they, they say the nice thing about like you, know, like, you know, we'll give you as much support as we can over 12 months. We, we, we won't expect you to take on any yeah, preceptorship yourself, you know, as you're developing your, your own practice. Um, but service contingencies and needs must you always get thrown in the deep end now and again and it's good. Yeah. It's a good experience. Yeah.
1: And it's good. They generally don't throw you in the deep end unless they think you can handle it anyway. Yeah.
0: You know what I mean? And it's good for
1: personal growth as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, no, it was good. So I remember, though, like, two weeks in, had a day one of grad, and then the first job we were page two was airway burns. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm like, bro, look this up in life in the fast lane as we drive. Um, it was good dynamics, though. We got along, and then, um, yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah, you, you know, these are the times when you learn. And, and it was really interesting, this whole self-perception as well. When you go from being a graduate to a qualified paramedic, the self-perception changes because even though, like, as a graduate, you're always, you're not second-guessing yourself, but you're sort of relying on your preceptor. Yeah, you've got got that safety net there. Yeah, safety net, exactly right. And so you're not overly, overly stressed in different circumstances. But as a qualified or newly qualified paramedic, you're like, wow, there's a lot resting on these shoulders. But then you also... Uh, I found, and then speaking to others, I found them to share this experience that you really come into yourself and realise how competent you really are, uh, that you maybe not didn't give yourself credit for, and that you've got a lot of skills and understanding under your belt, and then being able to employ them independently is really cool.
1: When you first started your paramedic grad year, and you know you were first in the trucks, going from that desk job, going to being in an ambulance on you know mm-hmm. twelve-hour shifts, working rotating roster. Were you like,
0: yes, this is where I'm meant to be? (laughs) Well, it was cool because it was, in a sense, it was getting back on the tools. I really enjoyed doing the, I did half an electrical apprenticeship before going back to uni. And I really enjoyed being on the tools and I missed that. And I liked tinkering at home whenever there was a, you know, I could do some sort of little Renault or, you know, get on the tools a bit. So being on an ambulance, it's kind of like being on the tools a little bit. Yeah, um, it's something different every day, and you, you're not, you know, you, like you say, you're not driving a desk, and yeah, you, you have different uh, situations to face every day. So that's that's cool. Um, but I was definitely like, it was tiring. The first, I remember the first two months of my graduate program, it was exhausting just because of the difference in, like you say, the long shifts, night shifts, plus the brain is working so hard trying to like absorb, observe, interpret, apply. All this new information yep. and and different dynamics you know dealing with a whole side of society that me and my bubble had never really been exposed to to a great degree and so there's a lot lots of things for the brain to adapt to and it was it was tiring but I, I was definitely definitely felt good definitely felt like yeah this is where I could stay uh, you know there's a passion and a joy and an excitement in this as well as the career yeah
1: hundred percent it's it's very fulfilling and um you know, one of the things that I like, you know, I, I was like you. I was a, I was a locksmith for 16 years before I um, mm. started with the ambulance service. I started off as a volunteer, then became paid stuff after. Mm. You know, we, we'd be locksmithing. You, you, you know, you'd have some jobs that, you know, you were working on for two or three weeks. You know, the same site, doing the same thing from mm. door to door to door. But now we go in and every day is different. Mm. There's mm. no carryover of jobs. Everything's done, dusted, next. Every shift you start with a fresh perspective. Sure. With a clean yeah. slate. And that's that's something I really, really like. Is there anything that you can share with us, some of your most memorable jobs? Because how long have you been qualified
0: now for? Uh, I've been qualified for just over two years. Can you so, share us
1: with uh, us some yeah. of your most memorable experiences?
0: Yeah, sure. I think that – so in Tasmania, it's a little bit of a different pace than some of the other places and some of the big cities. You know, it's not – it's not West Sydney, not like the suburbs there, and it's not like you know Gold Coast or Brisbane. That it's uh, it's got its own flavour down here. It's it's funny actually. I've been speaking to just as an aside, I've been speaking to some uh, paramedics and EMTs in the US, and you know they've been sharing about what their experience has been with the opioid epidemic there. It's like frightful. It's just absolutely nuts. Um, and I was, you know, I felt I felt bad. I feel guilty to say like, mate, you know, the the only opioid overdoses I've been to here is geriatric accidentals like you know yeah, not, yeah we're, we just don't see him yeah like uh, you hear you hear stories here and there and you know there's been a few down here in Tassie I haven't attended any of you know the heroin and other illicits but but it's um yeah it's it's not the common thing so yeah different pace down here in Tassie but there definitely are some big memorable scenes uh you know I'll probably never forget my first cardiac arrest because that's again that's something that you barely experience outside of paramedicine you know bystanders do experience it but but that was something and that was great because the first two cardiac arrests that I ever went to you know we got a return of spontaneous circulation and that was really great yeah the first one was just because it was um, secondary to respiratory arrest as a choking so that was a very quick intervention uh, very quick response time effective CPR leading up to us and then within two rounds of CPR we, we had a good good strong pulse and respiratory effort yeah you know. so that was really good and uh, so I never remember that you know I was I was um this was actually when I was a student and uh on placements my first placement, and then we were just down at the beach getting a coffee uh just be- you know at the beginning of shift and then we got a page and it was you know like four minutes drive if that and you know lights a bit quicker uh to a cardiac arrest and no, not much time to think uh, or, you know, to anticipate it. So just as we're getting the bags and going up the driveway, my mentor said, you, so we're just, you know, assuming our roles, he's like, you know, I'll go airway, you go IV access, there. you're right to do compressions. i like, yeah, of course, yeah, let's go. Uh, and then, you know, first time doing compressions and a real person, that uh, doesn't feel quite like the mannequin, but it, wow. it was good being involved and then seeing the outcome. That was great and then also just experiencing the the social dynamics of you know his life being on scene and and all those sorts of things and seeing how we handle that you know how you know another couple of crews rocked up and every person just fell into their role one person you know supported there was enough people around the patient one person supported the wife and gained what information was required there informed her of what is happening and what is going to happen now that we're transporting so although that's a bit of a sort of a bread and butter case although we don't go to them all the time that's definitely sticking stick in my memory you know done lots of them since but that's that's something that stands out and then a the major trauma we don't get a lot of major trauma down here you know low pop- population density not much violence not much significant violence but it happens and you know bad accidents happen i remember my first traumatic brain injury that was a big eye-opener and um we weren't supposed to respond to it, but the crew that was tasked had a delay anyway, so we responded, and it was just sort of a fairly, fairly vague sort of call from someone driving by. No one had stopped on scene, That this person had had an accident in what they were doing, and when we got there, they were slumped over. It didn't look like they were, well, yeah, it looked like they were unconscious at best, um, and there was a lot of blood around, and, and there was a lot to see there, you know, like um, some things on the ground which are meant to be inside their head, and you know. Anyway, we got there and they looked up at me when I when I touched them, and that was that was Man, crazy because you know you could you could yeah. Without going into too much detail and sort of on the case, it was quite confronting, but it was great um, managing, helping manage that case and, and, and responding that uh, another brain injury. Thing. You know, you hear about the textbooks, you know, things like Cushing's triad, which is, you know, a sign of acute uh, intracranial pressure increase, um, the behavioural differences, what interventions would be most appropriate for, you know, agitation involved, you know, with the brain injury. These are the sort of big ones, I think, which stood out for me because we don't go to them all the time. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I don't think I can go into much more detail because it's a small place down here in Tasmania. Yeah, true, but these, true. These are the sorts of cases that, that stood out for me, I think. The ones which, you know, you always study, the the, the the you know, the worst case scenario, the big cases, and then when they do come, it's like where wow, everything falls into place and you see, you know, what the textbook is talking about and when you – it's just – it's just amazing when the team works together as well because like yeah we've all read about this we've all practiced this we've simulated this so many times and um it's a big supporter of you know how how important simulation is in practice yeah yeah and you
1: know, when you train you train as realistically as possible like that's why you know when you know your basic first aid course is you know done inside and they might give you like a little towel to put your knees on But as soon as you get to the advanced stuff you know everything's done recess is done outside you know someone's found between the tree you've got to you know move them and
0: Mm-hmm. You know
1: you try to do things a little bit more realistic when you get to those high levels.
0: Yeah, no, that's right That's right. And even with the low-level stuff, you know people complain and grumble about having to do CPR refreshes every year or whatever it is But it's so important to maintain that because I did some training the other night Um, For a bunch of kids and you know, I'm used to just training with colleagues and we have this, you know High-performance CPR model which is you know based on formula one pit crew sort of thing where you have you know, absolutely most time efficient minimized time off the chest and all those sorts of things And it's just seeing how much of a difference that makes now, you know training kids um, Which don't have any exposure or or, or pre- knowledge of these sorts of things and seeing what naturally people do and then thinking about what that would mean in the real life and how much time off the chest that would be and what that would yeah yeah so so that's it's important important to practice (laughs) yeah that's really cool
1: so you've been a paramedic now for you know a couple of years and you know not only do you do that quite big in the social media world i would say a bit of a social media star Especially yeah. on, on Instagram, uh, you've got a page called Student Paramedics. So tell me a little bit about
0: that. that. You've got 30, almost 32,000 followers. Yeah, so Student Paramedics was a page I started when I was a student. as a student paramedic. <laughs> and um, anyway, I think back then there wasn't, you know, you had all these, like I guess only having limited placements. We had like three months of placement total. So four, four lots of four shifts. No, sorry, three lots of four shifts over the whole two-year degree but really it was like a three-year degree squashed in the two and then other universities particularly in the UK you know they do like that's like a quarter of what they do you know they do almost like a whole year on road pretty much throughout their studies and it's it's so good and it's so important it's such a big practical emphasis on their studies it's not just theory and so a lot of us here are relying on social media you know pages like savage paramedics or you know different th- different pages to just look at you know clinical content and case studies and all these sorts of things and um, Australia is really good as well Yeah, yeah, they've got fantastic uh, training. Dan Pronk and Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, I got Dan Pronk's book. I was like, yeah, let's get studying. Uh, And there was, like, pages uh, on on Instagram for, like, you know, student midwives and loads of med student doctors, you know, medical student pages, but there wasn't really any catering specifically for student paramedics. So I thought um, it would be cool just to, to make one and just, even for my own reference, just to collate different case studies and different bits of content together into one place uh, to help augment my studies and other people's studies, we started making. I wasn't really sure what I was, where I was going with the page initially, so we started doing like every few days we'd do like a student paramedic story hashtag student paramedic stories and would share some story or of, of some student paramedic around from around, around the world. What got them into paramedics, what their background was, and um, what,
1: how would how would you get them to send that in? Was that uh, I'll just, you reach just put out. a call
0: out or people you know or. So, on the page, like we started off to gain a lot of followers, just these case studies and, and memes and just classic stuff like that to try, you know, to get exposure and engagements. Um, started putting stories out, you know, if anyone wants to share their story, let's, you know, we can showcase you on the page. Um, so, people were contacting me doing that. If there were some people which uh, had followed their account or come across their account and they looked quite interesting and, you know, like that could be a bit of an inspiration for other people, I'd contact them directly. Yep. So, we got that going. I don't know how many we got in the end. We got like 50 or so stories over the year i think so like at least one a week would do yeah uh anyway and then after uh, following that you know i graduated eventually and i was also in uh i i bought during my studies these little clinical reference clouds that someone had made on facebook it's just like laminated little charts and tables of like you know vital sign references ecg keys all these lots, lots of little different things assessment aids i found them so useful but they'll just laminate and they'll peel off and they uh, Couldn't really find anything else within Australia that was from Australia Uh, that was similar. Um, There was another shop which sold sold an American one. I was like, well, why don't I just, like, I don't know, this looks like something which is really useful. Other people commented on them, um, saying that that, that they're cool, they're useful, where do you get them from? So I threw, like student paramedics by then it grown to like, I don't know, like 10K or something. So I was like, well, let's put a poll out and see if people would be interested in this sort of thing if I like produced some, which would be more harder wearing, like almost like in you know, a synthetic credit card style, yep. which you know other shops sold these sorts of things. But into like a more booklet form, which is a bit more comprehensive than just those four credit card sort of things. Um, and there was there was good response to that. I put pre-order out before purchasing any manufacturing. Um, and that supported a lot. So, you know, we got like the first was like hundred and fifty orders or something. So I was like, Great, wow. let's get let's get cracking, let's make yeah, them. That's so I made them response. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I was blown away. That's like, wow, this is this is tapping into something which is really really practical and people find it useful. And I thought why don't I like there's some through like influ- you know, other brands could contact me to do some influencing and promotion of their products on my page. So I was like, Well, you know, I've got this little network, maybe I could just start a little another brand. You know just with these booklets and a couple of like some trauma shears i think you know we're running x year then and some other some other shears and then see how that goes so that's basically what i did um student paramedics has just maintained that name because i think i want to emphasize the fact that we should always all be students always all carry that humility and eagerness to learn it's really easy to to lose the flame and the page keeps my flame alive Pardon, you know, the uh, expression, because it's easy just to become a bit a bit docile, conceited or, you know, happy with where you are, I guess, clinically, socially in, in your career. But this, yeah, definitely helps stay motivated, keeping up with late, latest you know, research, evidence, best practice and hearing from other people and what they are interested in. It's great having that community. So that's why I've kept the name there. And we continue to create content um, there on clinical practice and social dynamics and everything, you know, in, in related with paramedicine. And emergency healthcare. some we've had some people come on board and help you know create content and it's sort of um, yeah it's cool and then the other brand has sort of gone off on its own trajectory uh, in terms of the retail sort of side of things
1: yep and that uh, that is called my med equip is that correct
0: yeah my med equip
1: my med equip is there a, a website or a page for that you want to shout out
0: yeah my med equip on on Instagram you can find it a link Link and bio for student paramedics has a link there uh, and mymedequip.com.au. So we we just retail predominantly first aid medical supplies there. We have some high-scale wholesale, you know, EMS service-type products all the way down to general products which paramedics or nurses would use day-to-day and then down to first aid for for lay people, first aid kits, um, law enforcement kits, paramedic kits. We have some private EMS companies which purchase, you know, that use... You know they're they kit, kit out you know their ambulances with some of the stuff we have there so you've, there's, there's everything there sort of thing for each level i guess um and we obviously are, you know being a paramedic myself and my wife helps operate it she's in healthcare as well and we you know we test test stuff out and we we say no to some brands and say yes to the ones that we you know work well
1: so most of the stuff that you've got on there you've tested yourself and you you'd mm. be quite happy using that equipment yourself
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So I take it all on road with me, and you know I get samples and take them on road and, and um, test them out first. Yeah,
1: yeah, perfect. You able to give us uh, for the listeners some advice? People wanting to come into paramedicine, um, so just some general advice on what they can expect through uni and their grad year. Things that you think will help them along.
0: Yeah, sure. I think some of the things which a lot of people and myself studied uh, struggled with during studying university is that, like I mentioned before, the lack of the practical components especially in the last few years with you know what's happened in the last few years a lot of students actually got their placements cancelled and weren't able to go on road and that was another big reason why i you know, was really motivated to create content on student paramedics and particularly got much more into video content and you know started the tiktok page and and these sorts of things just to try and you know su- support that um, practical components and but yeah it, it can be a little bit disheartening some people find during uni i know and almost demotivating seems like a long time, you know, two or three years you're going to be at uni. But once you finish, it's so worth it. And, you know, you're learning. It's almost like a bit of a formality going through uni. Just see it as that, get through it, do the best that you can through it. And then you really start learning at, like, another level, another speed once you're on road. Yeah. I think you have to be prepared for a change in lifestyle.
1: Especially if you haven't done shift work before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Studying in itself number one and then shift you know like you know setting aside all the time at home when, it's, when you're not at uni studying um and then once you're once you're yeah doing shift work that's another game as well you know the first two months of my apprenticeship we did double day double night um, which i know a lot of people do and a lot of our stations do mostly the remote ones but yeah it was challenging going into double night na- nights straight from doing no nights <laughs> you know yeah. sleeping every night yeah and so i think you have to really maintain good health nutrition, good mental health, um, you know, as much as you can in terms of your lifestyle. So get healthy circadian rhythm, eating habits, sleeping habits, you know, try and maintain those rhythms inside and outside of shift work as you can. and you've got a
1: lot of stuff uh, on your website that can help with this, especially the sleep side. Yeah, you've I think the sleeping like masks
0: articles mymedequip um, for when it, when it comes to shift work, some some practical things and, and professional development there on mymediquip.com.au. Then, yeah, on Instagram, we put out content, not just clinical content, but like you say, yeah, things help you be an effective clinician and that's looking after yourself. So, you know, I know it's cliche self-care, but that sort of stuff's really important to maintain your own ability to work well. Simply. Yeah.
1: How do you how do you maintain yourself? I mean, you got a young family. You said you got a wife, you got a son. How do you balance that doing shift work? And you said your wife's a healthcare worker too. That must be difficult.
0: Yeah, yeah. So now, since having our boy, he's one and a half. She's she cuts down. She just works one day full time a week, and she picks up casual shifts uh, in healthcare. That's one of the benefits. You can, you can, um, yeah, you can always give you Reliance on there being some kind of casual availability for shifts, so you can be flexible. But it is a challenge. I won't lie. And obviously, having the business and social media as well. Like I've cut down on content creation quite a bit since since our boy came into our lives, and then the business as well. And, you know, that's we're moving on with that business to the point where you know we're able to incorporate other people into the business to do a number of tasks. That helps a lot. So that really helps. But we've we've. I guess it's just. I've ended up found finding, finding the hard way that if you try and do all these things on top of your shift work um, it re- can really affect you know, eating into family time. I'm, and, I'm experiencing you know, that at the moment. Yeah yeah you'd know mate So it's been a hard lesson to learn, but've I've, I've learned you know that how to prioritize my family you know I'm, I, theoretically in intellectually like yeah you know family's first hundred percent and I believe that from my personal and spiritual convictions that that's that's the most important thing in life here. But to practically manifest and demonstrate that in the way that I live can be a challenge. and but, it's, it's, uh, but I've learned that it's definitely the way to go. It's definitely the most important thing. So like I said, you know, the business, you know, it's not moving as fast as it could. It's moving, but not as fast as it could. Social media, not producing that much content. I started a YouTube channel, was consistent for six months. Uh, and then, and I haven't uploaded anything since probably like March, February, March of this year.
1: People don't realize how hard it is and how time consuming, especially that, to come up with these ideas to begin with, and what you what you want to produce, and then to go through the stages of recording and and then editing.
0: Oh my mm. god! Yeah, mate And I'm so bad. At, I don't know if it's because I'm impatient that I don't always write a script down of what I'm going to say and, and fully organise, you know, arrange what a video is going to be like. I just lib whatever, speak off, you know, impulse. But oftentimes, then I get stuck. So then I have to start again. Or like, you know, when I'm editing a video, there's like five takes of the same sentence and yeah it takes time and then and then searching for the right caption like designing the caption social media relies a lot on seo so you gotta not just hashtags but search engine optimization in terms of what your caption contains you know i have to make sure i list para, paramedic a number of times like five times or you know like and not confuse it by involving paramedic police and firefighter or whatever you know like it, there's a lot of work going into that editing the video doing the caption seeking when the time would be best to post it there's a lot of lot of uh, work that goes into all of that so hence why i've fallen down a bit and then so youtube's hard again it's even harder youtube to crack the algorithm on there yeah
1: oh you, you're doing a good job i do envy uh all your social media i as i, said, I wouldn't
0: I... envy the time they'd have to put into it rest oh yeah <laughs> I,
1: know, I know that i know that um yeah i'm at the point i've, I've given up a Going to give up a few volunteer roles. Um, it's just yeah. getting too much into family times, and you know this is kind of a, a part of the thing that you, you know you have to look after yourself, and you really have to to manage that work life balance, especially with kids. You know, I've got a, an eleven year old, an eight year old, and a six year old, and it's just you know sports, homework, and you know it is. And you don't is, want to
0: let something that's that you're passionate about burn you out. Yeah, exactly. You want to keep exactly. that uh, good appetite for it.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So I'm, I'm focusing on this uh, on this podcast and learning a lot about editing and, and, and stuff myself. So, you know, nice. sharing the stories, you know, such as such as yours and so many other first responders, you know, whether they're paramedics or police officers or military. And you know, I think people got some really, really cool stories to share and, you know, help inspire the, the next generation. And it's really important stuff. Same as what you're doing. Happy days, mate. Well, I think I think that's about it for us. Awesome.
0: Great Thank chatting you. to you, Rusty.
1: You too, man. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing the story. I can't wait to get it all edited up and out there for the world to hear your story. No, but before we go, actually, do you mind sharing what your what we spoke about to begin with? What your next
0: step is? Oh, next step, yeah. So in two months' time, we are planning to move to the UK. So I'm going to be expanding my scope and experience. I guess you know they do things very differently in the UK. Well, not very differently, but there there are a few things which we don't do here. That they do there vice versa but overall there's a bigger scope of practice for a paramedic there's a, a higher expectation for individual practitioners over there so that's going to be cool I have a family there so we're going to go there spend time with the family while the little one's small and there's a uh, yeah opportunity for me to work there on that with the nhs and a few other cool things that we're expecting over there too
1: that's that's a uh, it's going to be an exciting year i think you'll get uh Further inspiration for your instagram page over there we'll see some new content
0: yeah for sure to influence it you'll be able to keep up with a few of the happenings (laughs) (laughs) happy
1: days mate look as i said i really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story all the best for your role in london on the uk should i say yeah just south of london happy days mate thank you for coming on much appreciated
0: Thanks best. for having me and I love what you're doing here, sharing stories with the individuals, you know, is really cool to add the human elements to these these roles in emergency services. So so keep going and look forward to hearing more from you. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate your support. Thank you for tuning into the Priority Zero Podcast. We greatly appreciate your dedicated listenership. If you are interested in being featured as a guest on our show, we welcome you to reach out to us through our official channels on Facebook or Instagram. Alternatively, you can contact us via email at contact at priorityzero.com.au. We value your support in helping us spread these compelling stories to a wider audience. Kindly consider liking and sharing these episodes as it plays a crucial role in our mission to reach as many people as possible.